Welcome to Heavy Hitter Sports. I'm your host, Mark Hogesang. My son, Chris, and I today are teaming up for part two of our Sports Villains episode. This show also represents the end of season one for Heavy Hitter Sports, so we'd love to end it with a bang. Take it away, Chris. All right, the unlucky 13 villains. We're starting with a combo. They say all is fair in love and war. I'm not really sure, but that's definitely what Hope Solo and Jeremy Stevens have been up to. Let's start with Hope. So... She's got a great name, arguably the greatest name in sports. Hope Solo sounds like Han Solo. She's an amazing goalie for the U.S. Women's National Team. But she's been basically bullying almost everyone she interacts with almost her entire life. She loves to show up pristine and polished for her endorsement-oriented interviews. She can pull the wool over everyone's eyes at Nike, but not us. She has a laundry list of felonies, but let's start with beating up her nephew. I like to wrestle with my cousins, but I'll ask you this, Dad. Have you ever felt the need to beat up any of your nephews? I never have, nor with a broomstick in particular. Yes, I would prefer if you didn't take a broomstick to my cousins. Let's move on to Jeremy. So who is Jeremy Stevens? He's this guy who went to the University of Washington at the exact same time as Hope Solo. That's where they started to fall in love with each other. And he played as a tight end for a hot minute with the Seattle Seahawks. Jeremy's mother is a police officer and his dad is a high school coach and a teacher. But let's jump to 1998, where he gets a felony assault while high on weed as a senior in high school. In 2000, while a student at the University of Washington, he's arrested and charged with rape, but Washington sweeps it away. And in 2011, he's arrested and charged for punching two bouncers. That's just about the same time that he and Hope Solo were thinking about getting hitched. So on the day they actually get married, it's the day after Jeremy has gotten arrested for assaulting Hope. And she changes her name to Hope Stevens at nearly the exact same time. So she's been arrested under different names. And Jeremy Stevens is about as bad as it gets. Yes, they did get married, but they are no longer together. And of course, on March 31st, 2022, Hope Solo gets arrested at a Walmart for a DUI. And oh, you wish she was riding solo, but she is not. She gets arrested in the parking lot while drunk, resisting arrest with her two little twin daughters in the car with her as well. So to end it on an absolute thud, try to keep the kids out of the car if you're driving around. Oh, and of course, Hope Solo got four years of probation from the U.S. Women's National Team for what? For driving the U.S. Women's National Team bus drunk. Sadly, they are the modern day Bonnie and Clyde of sports. At number 12 is the boxing promoter, Don King. Now, King worked with some of the greatest boxers of all time. Ali, Frazier, Foreman, and Tyson. King is also the man behind the rumble in the jungle and the thriller in Manila. But he killed two men. The first he shot in the back in what was ultimately ruled justifiable homicide. But the second, he literally stomped to death. He then served four years in prison. This was an employee that owed him $600. King also was investigated for his gang-related ties, including that to the mafia boss, John Gotti. He has also been sued by numerous boxers for shorting them financially. Ali claimed that King shorted him a million dollars in a fight with Larry Holmes. Holmes himself concluded that King had robbed him of $10 million over his career. And Mike Tyson then also called King ruthless, deplorable, and greedy. And Tyson was ultimately granted $14 million after winning a fraud lawsuit against Don King. King now is 89 years old, but he is worth $150 million. 
dollars, thus suggesting that crime literally does pay, unfortunately. Yeah, it sounds like Don King is not the king of boxing, just the king of violence. That takes us to number 11, the Brooklyn Nets. I'll keep this brief. I cannot stand the Brooklyn hipster culture. They're like trying to be Portland East over there. And have you ever met a Nets fan? Because I haven't. I remember buying a New Jersey Nets hat outside of the Rose Garden at the time because I said, I don't know any Nets fans. So I'd like to support that team. Whereas the actual fans in New York all love the Knicks, good or bad. I just can't stand that the Nets fans don't exist. And there are a bunch of hipsters who may or may not show up to the game. But that brings us to Jay-Z's involvement because he says, let's take a team with no culture and just add music. So all you get at a Nets game is music and hoopla in the arena to make up for the fact that nobody actually cares if the Nets win or lose. That brings us to the fact that it is now Kevin Durant's team. He chooses to forget that he had a really good team of his own in Oklahoma City, but you can't blame him for wanting to move to Brooklyn and start over with who? Oh, none other than the absent Robin to his Batman, Kyrie Irving. So yes, I think these two people are actually a match made in heaven for each other because they're terrible teammates. They don't like playing together, but they're so mega talented that it'll all work. The other thing I can't stand about the Brooklyn Nets is the way that they completely ditched their New Jersey culture. I don't hear anybody talking about the good old days with Jay Kidd, Kenyon Martin, Kerry Kittles, Keith Van Horn, Brian Scalabrini off the bench. Those were the good days when they go to the finals in the early 2000s. I don't hear anybody ever celebrating that. So this is a team with no history and no future because I ain't betting on Kyrie and Kevin Durant ever. They have no loyalty, no fans, and absolutely nothing to show for all of their BS. I've always thought that Steve Nash has the toughest coaching job in not only the NBA, but probably all professional sports. At number 10 is the Houston Astros who perfected the illegal act of science stealing in baseball and thus robbed the Dodgers of the 2017 World Series. The Astros then would go on with their cheating ways and advance to the playoffs in 2018 and 19 as well. The Astros used video cameras to steal the signs from the catcher to the pitcher and then alert the batter at the plate as to whether the next pitch would be a fastball a breaking pitch, or a change-up. They would use garbage cans as auditory signs. Now, I just finished the book that you gave me for Christmas, Andy Martino's Cheated, which outlines the specifics of the Houston scam. It reads literally like a crime story. The Astro executives, manager, and players were all complicit in the cheating. The prime culprits were GM Jeff Lunau, manager AJ Hinch, and the veteran player Carlos Beltran. Now, Major League Baseball did not strip the Astros of the 2017 World Series championship, but they have made improvements here and they've lessened the chances of science stealing this year by introducing an electronic communication tool between pitcher and catcher. Yes, I would actually like to thank the Houston Astros for reviving my love of baseball because I've never been more upset about any team winning a championship than this Astros team. The way they cheated was despicable. It starts from the coaching staff on down. We know that the GM is involved. Basically, everybody was in on this cheating mission to win a title and they did it at all costs and not one of them is sorry about it. Now, we know that it's hard to apologize about winning a championship, but you could at least give a couple concessions. Nope, that's not for the Astros. (laughs) That takes us to number nine, Duke basketball. I would direct our fans to YouTube and I would direct them to search This Is Why Duke Sucks. 
It's an absolutely amazing video done by a Maryland fan who is just introducing all of the reasons why you should not like Duke, whether it's elbowing Tyler Hansborough on purpose in the face and getting him a bloody nose so he can just leave the game. This is why Duke sucks. And sure, there could be a little bit of jealousy here. You know that I applied early decision to Duke and I didn't get in. So I wrote on my lacrosse practice jersey for the rest of the year because I would wear a Duke lacrosse practice jersey and I just wrote missed out at the bottom. That helped motivate me for the rest of my senior year. And I did root for Duke when they won the 2015 national championship. I I don't hate Duke that much, but it's just hard not to. They have Coach K. They have Bobby Hurley. They have John Shire. They have JJ Reddick. They have Christian Leitner and Grant Hill. I think the Cameron Crazies are entirely overrated. They paint their faces blue and white because they're not cute enough to just sit in the stands without anything on. And Cameron Indoor is the smallest stadium without any good seats for anybody. It's just the chapel for Coach K. I'll leave it like this. Coach K has an eye scanner for his office. And we're supposed to believe that Duke hasn't been cheating. I will say this. It's not Duke that's on the list here. It's Duke basketball specifically, because I think having gone to the Duke lacrosse camp, you have admiration and respect for Donowski and all things Duke lacrosse. And clearly they've had a great soccer program and a multitude of different athletic endeavors. Yeah. And let's highlight Donowski because I went to Duke lacrosse camp. I was the only kid from Portland there. I was wearing a blazer shirt. I was literally sitting by myself in the cafeteria after practice and coach Donowski sits down right across from me and asks me who I think the Blazers are going to pick this year. So not everybody at Duke is terrible, but I cannot stand their basketball. But I would say this too, for as great as the 30 for 30 series is, I would argue that the single best episode is the piece that they did on Duke lacrosse. Absolutely amazing. I was in tears at the end of this. And this basically chronologues the Duke lacrosse scandal without going into specifics here. If you want to you want a nice 30 for 30, not a nice one. It's a cry fest. Definitely watch the Duke lacrosse 30 for 30. But if you want to just hate on Duke, go to YouTube. This is why Duke sucks. Exactly. At number eight is a true villain, and that is OJ. We all know the heinous story behind Simpson's double murder of his ex-wife, Nicole, and Ron Goldman. So I will be brief here. Now, I saw, you saw, together, the chase. You happened to be 18 months at the time. We had just gotten back from a nice dinner with mom and I, of course, turned on the TV set and followed this compelling story of Al Cowings and OJ being chased down the I-5 and 405 freeways. Not forget the white Bronco. It's almost the most important part of the story. True. And then backing up this story, you had the narration from Larry King and all the LA newscasters at the time. I cannot ever think of anything such as this in sports history. Now, switching gears just a little bit, I think what is absolutely crazy is the Heisman Committee has never taken away the trophy given to OJ in 1968. That is still his trophy. Now, having said that, he sold it away for $250,000 to help pay some of the debt that he owed on the $33 million civil charge that was issued against him. But what is even crazier is that the committee chose to take Reggie Bush's trophy away. That is clearly not equal justice. Oh, we'll get to the hypocrisy of the NCAA very soon. But let's move on to another man, Floyd Money Mayweather. I'm going to keep this one short because this guy is so despicable that I don't want to make him relevant again. No one likes the money team. Everyone hates him because he's undefeated. And guess what? He's got the most boring boxing style in the history of boxing. He's a defensive boxer. I get it. You can't touch me and I'll touch you. How about you hit somebody hard, Floyd? I don't know. Oh, you can hit some people hard. It's just your own family. He's a domestic abuser. At number six is the ruling body of international soccer, FIFA. 
Now, these soccer kingpins have proven numerous times that they are corrupt to the core and only interested in enriching themselves. The U.S. Department of Justice charged FIFA with bribery in awarding the World Cup to both Russia in 2018 and Qatar in 2022. Qatar are said to have bought the votes needed to win their event hosting bids. The Swiss made similar claims as well. Now, the U.S. prosecutors recently revealed the details behind the money paid to five members of FIFA's top board ahead of the 2010 vote that awarded the event to Russia and Qatar as hosts. Now, it would be one thing if it was just corruption involving money, but no, that's not enough. Sadly, 6,500 migrant workers have died in the last 10 years, creating the infrastructure that will be used for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Thankfully, Amnesty International just recently suggested that FIFA provide $440 million in compensation to the migrant workers. FIFA now is considering that, along with what may be the most pretentious name in sports, Qatar's Supreme Committee for Delivery and Legacy. They are also considering this proposal as well. You only forgot one major figure in the FIFA. It's Sepp Blatter. And we'll end this one with his quote, I'm the president of the FIFA. So I'm the president of everybody. That takes us to number five on our list. We did this by accident, but let's put it in honor of Reggie Bush. It's Notre Dame football. Let's start with Brian Kelly, who should never be forgotten for his tenure at Notre Dame, having killed a student at practice who gets blown off of a high rise chair while filming practice. And what does Notre Dame do for killing a student? Oh, we just guarantee admittance for your family members for the rest of your life. So you go away and never tell anybody about it. But this is, this is a school with so many bad head coaches. You've got Lou Holtz and you've got, oh, the worst of the worst, Charlie Weiss. Notre Dame gets every call at home because of what? The luck of the Irish. They say, oh, there's luck in the air here. They say they'll play anybody, but actually they play no one. They should be totally embarrassed for canceling their rivalry with Michigan, for canceling their rivalry with Michigan State. They've chosen instead to align with the ACC, which they think they can win even though they cannot. And that brings us to the fact that Notre Dame hasn't won a national title since 1988, and they've lost every single time they've played in a big postseason game since the BCS system came into place. And they haven't won a Heisman since 87 with Timmy Brown, basically, on that same team as well. We look at things through Cardinal and Gold glasses, of course. Basically... God was looking down and favoring the Trojans against the Irish during the Bush push when they won in 2005. During that game, too, this represents the evilness associated with Notre Dame football because the grass had been grown tall for that game to slow down Reggie Bush and the rest of the Trojans. But sadly, what happens is Desmond Reed tears up his right knee as a result of that because his cleat gets caught in the high and mushy grass. You mentioned the coaches, but that's not enough. They also brought us Jimmy Clausen. Brady Quinn, and of course, Manti Teo and his imaginary girlfriend. Yeah, let's go to Manti Teo and Jimmy Clausen. I would just ask Jimmy Clausen this. Where are those four championship rings that you guaranteed for Notre Dame? Because you got absolutely zero. And Monte Teo was basically a marketing scheme from Notre Dame to try to get them a Heisman. They were so desperate to get a Heisman trophy. Oh, let's try to give it to a defensive football star. His girlfriend, who does not exist, Lene Kakua, was a catfish from Hawaii. How this guy gets involved with a girlfriend having never seen her in real life is beyond me. But this catfish tells Monte Teo that 
she, Lene Kakua, is battling cancer when in fact it's just a crazy chubby guy from Hawaii just playing a game with them. And if that wasn't enough, then we had the athletic director for Notre Dame, as all this becomes evident, in tears explaining how great of a man that Manti Taglio is. And I'm not <laughs> suggesting he's not, but the whole notion of, oh my goodness, I will now have a press conference and weep in front of you telling you the virtues of Manti was a little too much for me. Now, Yeah, we don't four, have any tears. We have no tears for Notre Dame. No, but we do have tears, sadly, for the victims of number four. This is the axis of evil, the sexual abusing Jerry Sandusky, Larry Nasser, and Robert Anderson. Sadly, sports has been racked by numerous sex abuse scandals during recent years, the most notable perhaps being that of Jerry Sandusky, the assistant coach who committed crimes at Penn State. Now, he was sentenced to 30 years in prison after being convicted of abusing 10 boys. That's heinous enough, but I think what makes this even more charged and notable is that Joe Paterno is thought to have looked the other way and kept quiet with Sandusky's horrible behavior. Paterno was the head coach and basically the owner of the program at Penn State at the time. Now, ultimately, thankfully, the Penn State Board of Trustees would then let Paterno go in shame. Now, in 2021, Larry Nasser, the Michigan State doctor and the U.S. gymnastic sports physician, was sentenced to life in prison for his sexual abuse conviction. He is said to have abused 150 different women at Michigan State and countless others during his time with U.S. gymnastics. Now, Michigan State would pay $500 million to settle the lawsuits of the victims. Also, their president was fired as a result. This past January, the University of Michigan paid out $490 million to hundreds of people who were said to have been sexually abused by sports doctor Robert Anderson over his four-decade career in Ann Arbor. What makes this even stranger is the fact that the son of the once-renowned Michigan football coach, Bo Schembechler, was said to have been abused as well. He told this to his dad. Now, mind you, he's a 10-year-old boy saying, Dad, I've been abused, or in the terms that he uses. And the coach decided not to believe his own son, and he supported Anderson instead. Now, the fires of hell cannot burn bright enough for these three individuals, Lori Nasser, Jerry Sandusky, and Robert Anderson, at least in my mind. I will summarize this one as such. As someone who has coached children, I've coached first and second grade girls across all the way up to high school with boys and girls. I just hope that every kid I've ever coached knows that I love them and that I care about them and that I'll always be there for them. And I hope that they have trust in me as well, because these people are so despicable. It's so heinous. It's so terrible that I don't want to give any of these abusers the justice of calling them by name. There's so many things that are sad about this. It's heinous crimes committed by evil people. But you're also making note of the fact that coaches can play such an influential and positive role in the lives of the boys and the girls that they coach. Oh, that's the worst part is these people had the kids trust. And that's what breaks my heart. This brings us to number three, the notorious one, Connor McGregor. He's got so many good quotes, and I am a fan of his in terms of what he's done for the sport of UFC. He says, the Irish aren't here to take part, they're here to take over. And he'd like to apologize to absolutely nobody. The double champ does what he wants. However, you go too far once you start talking about wives and families. And that's where he decided to go after his last fight, which he lost to Dustin Poirier. It is amazing that a guy like this can talk smack while he's laying down with a broken leg in half. but. It's just not right to talk about wives and families, not to mention this guy has so many reckless offenses with driving, attacking a bus by himself. 
he's a bad guy. It's interesting, since mom and I just spent uh, three weeks in Ireland, not once did Conor McGregor's name come up, which I was surprised because Conor acts as though he is the emissary for all things Irish. He is part of bringing Irish fighting to America. But I'm not exactly sure how proud Ireland is of him. We've already talked about Notre Dame football. Conor McGregor is the emblem of the Fighting Irish. He is, exactly. So at number two is the NC2A and its smug commissioner, Mark Emmert. Now, the NC2A is theoretically a nonprofit organization, but it rakes in a billion dollars annually, and Emmert makes $3 million a year. The empty suits of this organization righteously claim that they care about student-athletes first and foremost. I don't buy any of that, nor do you. Their prime interest is in garnering TV revenues via March Madness, and the capricious manner in which they levy their NC2A violations annoys virtually all college sports fans because they will come and get you at some point in time. You just never know when nor where. And given the NIL situation, basically the NC2A has thrown up their hands to say, hey, we didn't want this. We can't do anything to set guardrails and make sense of this. So in essence, booster abuse will be rampant for years to come until Congress or some rational body comes in with rules, regulations that make sense that all schools and athletes can live by. Now, I'm hoping that the NIL will basically then lead ultimately to the NC2A's demise or at least their radical overhaul. Thankfully, Emirate has decided to step down at the end of June of 2023. And my sense is that the NIL and the situation associated with has led to that occurring. Yeah, I'll focus on Mark Emmert here. He decided to open Pandora's box. Then people wanted him to close it. And so he has chosen to step down. Beautiful, Mark. Just beautiful. And speaking of commissioners... That takes us to number one, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, the bulletproof shield holder for the NFL owners. We'll start with the Ray Rice situation. Roger Goodell has no idea how to make up rules on the fly, yet he chooses this option every single time. Roger Goodell also has no interest in looking into the concussion issue as deep and terrible as that is for the sport because it would put him out of business. The NFL is also a nonprofit organization that forces the military to pay for their own promotion at games, not the other way around. So when you see a military guy coming in on a parachute to land on the field, the military paid for that. So the NFL will tell you that they're honoring the troops, but they're just taking another check. Roger Goodell is disingenuous. He's insincere. They create breast cancer awareness by selling pink items for women for one month a year that ends up with just a bunch of guys wearing pink socks for a little bit of time. And this only exists because the NFL has no interest in actually making nice apparel for women. They just want to give them pink stuff. You mentioned CTE and the NFL a few years back basically directed $100 million to researching CTE and the effects of their athletes. Now, on one level, you go, oh, it's $100 million. That's a lot of money. Roger Goodell makes $60 million annually. So that's chump change relative to the revenue generated every year by the NFL. Yeah, they just spend money to pretend to make problems go away. Exactly. Sports fans, that is a wrap. Those are our top 25 sports villains. Feel free to let us know if we missed anybody that you believe to be a top target, an arch villain. Now, I hope you enjoyed season one of Heavy Hitter Sports. Thanks for joining us along the ride. I know this has been fun for Chris and myself, and we'll be back shortly for season number two. Until then, fight on. Fight on.